And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. In 2014, 22-year-old Elliot Roger went on a rampage and killed six people. The killings were certainly tragic, but they were kind of viewed as lying on the margins of politics. For some, the incident raised the issue of gun control. For others, it raised the issue of mental illness. The fact, the fact that Roger was an incel, it's a piece of online slang referring to involuntary celibates, the fact that he was an incel who hated women suggested that the nation's culture wars were also involved. And yet the massacre was never viewed as part of a more fundamental shift in the structure of American politics. My guess says it should have been. Eliot's rampage heralded a new realm of illusion in politics. My guest is Dr. Ronald Dworkin. He's practiced anesthesiology in a large medical center uh, for 30 years. He's an associate fellow at the Institute for Advanced Studies and Culture at the University of Virginia and has taught political philosophy and medicine and society in the George Washington University Honors Program. He's worked as a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, where he headed up its medicine, society, and culture project. He writes about medicine and society and American culture for and politics for the Wall Street Journal, the American Interest, National Affairs, the New Atlantis, First Things, and other publications. And he's the author of several books, including Artificial Happiness, The Dark Side of the New Happy Class in Medical Catastrophe, Confessions of an Anesthesiologist. You can follow him at Ronald W. Dworkin, D-W-O-R-K-I-N.com. We'll have that linked at our site. And uh, Ronald, good to have you with me. Thanks. Thank you for having me. You start off this provocative uh, piece at uh, lawliberty.org. Take us to that story, and why don't you build from it as you did in the article. We're talking about no longer uh, political fights about policy or ideology, but a new contest between uh, competing illusions. Go ahead and develop it. Yeah. Let me explain um, Please. Uh, by putting it in the context of the, the realms of interest and ideology that in politics that everyone pretty much knows about. The realm of interest has been around for hundreds of years, and it's obvious known to everyone. It involves businesses and people and organizations fighting over money, or at least fighting to prevent themselves from being physically harmed. Fights over taxes are an example of this. And then there's a the realm of ideology, and that involves some degree of hope and aspiration as part of a, a larger belief system that people share in. It usually addresses the question, how should we live? And examples would be the ideology of socialism or the ideology of free market capitalism. The realm of illusion is something new in its own thing. That's what I try to describe in this essay. It arises from the personal unhappiness of individuals who are unhappy but don't really know why they are unhappy. And they reach for an explanation, and sometimes that explanation dovetails with some pre-existing political cause that's already out there, so feminism or identity politics and so on. But what animates them is not really the question, why do I, uh, wh how do I make life better? Instead, it's why do I feel this unhappiness? And they have some unpleasant sensations they can't explain. They dream of some solution. Their dream carries them into a realm of illusion, a very impractical realm where there are no really no real policies put forward. And when these people enter into politics, they bring their confusion and unhappiness with them, and they're very uncompromising. They're hard for people who operate in traditional politics to understand, and they're sometimes quite violent. So this is a new phenomenon in American politics? Yes, because American politics has always had the realm of interest and ideology uh, on many fronts. So 
the relevant interest would be, for example, the fight over taxes I mentioned, or the fight over who gets the share of budget of government contracts, or the fight over Social Security, Medicare. That's the relevant interest. The relevant ideology has been around for hundreds of years. Uh, 1970s, there were fights over integration, over busing. These are all realms of ideology. But the revolution were people who, large numbers of people who use the political system to try to understand their unhappiness and express their unhappiness, which has no clear cause. That's a new phenomenon. And we see that in a variety of, of political causes that we uh, have traditionally seen in politics. But now these people have been attached to it. So, so um, do, the, do they, are these, so a person, a, 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 a person who's confused about why he or she feels unhappy um, tries to figure it out, and they don't come up with an answer, but they find other people who have a similar unexplained unhappiness? Yes. Let me give you an example. Yeah. Well, one that I use in, in the essay. So in the environmental climate change debate, there is the realm of interest. And that would include the fossil fuel companies on one side and the green companies who want to make money on the other side. Right. Okay, that's right. been around for years. We also have the realm of ideology. We have people uh, who believe that the free market is a solution to climate change. Those voices are often heard on the Wall Street Journal editorial page. And we have those who believe that no aggressive state action is required. Okay, that's the realm of ideology. We can understand that. But then there's also those who are unhappy for whatever personal reasons. And they've, some of them have embraced a phenomenon called environmental wellness, which is part of the larger wellness movement more generally, which is aimed at trying to deal with people's personal unhappiness and their anxieties. And people embrace the elusive idea of wellness as a, as a palliative. And these people are also active in the environmental movement. They also feel strongly about climate change, but they come from a totally different direction and they have different qualities about them. Uh, they're also they're extremely uncompromising sometimes. They focus on impossible solutions to climate change that are illusions, that are mm. utopian dreams, because it was never about the Earth to begin with. It was always about their personal unhappiness. Always about them, Now, yeah. when these people band together, they look like they are part of a movement, but they are not really a movement as we traditionally understand it, as a movement of people trying to get certain policies in place. They're a movement of people, each who has an individual personal unhappiness, who happen just by luck or chance to be banded together in a movement, but for each of them, their, their politics is more of a private affair, dealing with their personal unhappiness, although they are banded together in what looks like a movement. But it's a different, it's a different nuance. It's a different purpose altogether. And these people um, are a new force in politics, people mm. who are experiencing a problem individually and personal unhappiness, and they're using politics as their vehicle to solve it or to express it. So if, if, if you were to... If you were to propose a solution to this issue of climate change, uh, the the person who's um, involved in the politics of illusion, they would not be satisfied because it's not really a solution to the problem of the environment or global That's warming correct. that they're looking for. It's it's an internal problem that can that can never be satisfied through this means of uh, seeking justice. That's right. And that's why you see this extreme, uncompromising stance in much of our politics. The green companies, the fossil fuel companies, they can work out a compromise. They have practical, practical policies. Right. They find some way to do it. 
And the ideologues, they also will. I mean, there are people who believe in the free market and people who believe in NGOs and, yep. and, uh, and a strong government. All right, they could work it out, too. There are practical policies that they could, they could describe and they could find some way to deal with it. But if you enter into politics because you have a personal unhappiness or unpleasant sensation in your life and you don't know what it is and you have this illusory dream and you think wellness will be able to solve it, there's no room to even debate or discuss. There's no policy there. There's no room right. for discussion. And so you really can't have politics in the traditional sense anymore. Yeah, so what they're doing is injecting into the political system personal problems that the political system was never designed to handle. That's correct. That's how you, that's how you conclude the piece, yeah. Right, it's not just environmentalism. You could find it in the uh, men and women and their troubles at find it in identity politics uh, yeah. it's everywhere all the all the legitimate you know issues that we debate uh that's fine but each of them has this other component this third component this realm of illusion which is causing our politics to become so difficult i think so who i mean the question would be what what percentage of those engaged in these uh competing issues uh how how what percentage of uh, them are in fact trying are seeking solutions to personal problems which can't be solved through these political means are they they exist but do they have the power to actually shape a movement well i don't have any numbers for you this is i mean i'm just mentioning bringing sure. up a concept to you therefore yeah. it hasn't been yeah. measured I think when we can sense it by, in the case of the Democratic Party, people have said, and we have observed that they've drifted more left. Why? Because they know that a component of the vote, which they rely on, is small, but they are very angry and active and very extreme. And there are enough of them, apparently, that the Democratic Party feel they must appease them. And so many Democrats are reasonable and are interested in compromise and want to solve problems. Sure. But there's this other component that is obviously big enough that they have to worry about. And by having to worry about them, that means they don't think they can compromise and they must stoke the egos of these people. So they're obviously large enough to be a problem. And they also exist on the uh, on the conservative side, too. They would be there, too. But that's a, it's not large, I would think, but they're vocal and they can be violent and they can be uncompromising and they're causing trouble. It sounds like they can be easily manipulated too. Yeah, that also. Yeah. Um, I think so. I, you know, because I don't forget uh, these people. Um, you can't really necessarily blame these people and say they're evil. They have their personal troubles, and a lot of people have personal troubles in America. Loneliness, for example, is a huge problem in America. Right. It's been right. written about, talked about. Sixty, seventy percent of American people are lonely, and in their loneliness, they sometimes feel unhappy. They don't know why. They begin to dream into the realm of illusion. So it's not as if these people are bad people, but they are in a grip of a crisis, and that crisis has found its way to politics now. That's the problem we're dealing with. So how, how would you, when you look back at early groups from the late 60s into the 70s, like the Weather Underground, uh, that continue to talk about revolution long after long after the, the, the time that that was even a pl- I never thought it was plausible, but they... You get to the mid seventies, and they're talking about revolution. They're underground; they don't have any movement behind them anymore. What are they? Are, the, are they yeah, mere ideologues? I, I, 
Yes, I consider them just extreme ideologues, yeah. paranoid ideologues. But they have a practical policy. They wanted uh, oh, uh, wealth redistribution, yeah. socialism. Okay, it was not going to happen. It was, in that respect, it was utopian. And they're, they they saw a real threat to their economy and to their, to their lives, mm-hmm. and they lashed out violently. But this revolution is a different thing because the Weathermen, like the John Birchers, they, they saw a specific threat and they saw it manifested in a certain way, and then they lashed out. In the case of the Rome Revolution, people aren't happy for reasons they're not quite sure. And then they happen to find a cause they can identify with uh, through various psychological ways, uh, mm-hmm. self-esteem movements or wellness movements or positivity movements, a variety of ways into politics. And so it's, it's, a, different, it's a different animal from the extreme paranoid ideologues of the 1970s. Yeah. They seem similar, and there's a border there, but it's not quite the same. Okay, so I'd say the the people you're describing, I assume, are then are lonely. They they may be, they may not be. They may be unhappy for other reasons. Maybe they're just they don't like their relationships, or maybe they don't um, they don't know why they should be living even. Or there are a variety of reasons why people can feel unhappy and be unsure why. Loneliness is certainly a contributing factor. Yeah, but there are many reasons why, and how many people find their way into extreme political movements yeah. where they make the, the movements extreme. It's fascinating and really worth some reflection. I thank you so much, uh, Robin, for being with me. Um, thank you for having me. something to keep my eyes on. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Ronald Dworkin, uh, the essay is called When Politics Becomes Therapy. We'll have it uh, linked in the Crested Guest Archives.